The children of the early times did not go to school. Why should they? When the chief thing for a girl to learn was how to manage the house as her mother did, and the chief thing for a boy to learn was how to do what his father did. Therefore, the girl followed her mother about house, learning how it should be cared for, and how to teach slaves to do their work. She must learn to spin and weave, of course, and to sing and dance. The boy, too, was taught singing and dancing, but he must also learn to care for the herds and flocks. To cultivate the land and to use weapons. There was no need of studying reading or writing, for there was little, if any, to study. All the arithmetic that was necessary could be learned from counting the flocks. As for history, that consisted of myths and legends, which were no harder to remember than so many fairy tales. Geography, too, must have seemed almost like a fairy tale, for the early Greeks thought the earth was a plain around which the ocean, A very broad river was ever flowing. Beyond this ocean stream was darkness, and no one knew what fearful monsters. The sky was two mighty domes, a bright one that was overhead by day, and a dark one that shut down at night. Greek children played games, of course, and some of them were much the same as those played today. One was called Five Pebbles. In this, the child tossed up five little pebbles and tried to catch as many as possible on the back of his hand. Those that fell to the ground he might pick up, but in so doing he must not drop the others. The Greeks enjoyed life and looked upon death as putting an end to all their joys. They believed that they would live forever, but they did not expect to be happy in the afterlife. Great heroes, for sure, were born to a beautiful place called the Elysian Fields, which lay far to the west. Close beside the ocean stream. Homer said of it, No snow is here, no winter long, no rain, but the loud blowing breezes of the west the ocean stream sends up to bring men to coolness. There the heroes went on with whatever they had liked to do best on earth, and there they enjoyed all sorts of pleasures, but no such happiness was in store for common men. They expected to be sent to a sad and gloomy place called Hades. There they would remember the light of the sun and long to see it again. They would remember their homes and friends, but almost as if they were dreaming. Nothing would seem real, and all things would be dull and cheerless. They would wander about like shadows in the dismal twilight forever, with nothing to enjoy and nothing to hope for. As the Greeks did not expect any happiness after death, they were all the more eager to have as much as possible while they lived. They thought the gods had power to give them whatever they wanted, provided the fates did not forbid. Therefore, they worshipped them in order to win favors for themselves. They did not often think of the gods as being better than men, but only as being more powerful. Parents did not say to their children, Zeus is good, and therefore you must try to be like him. They said, Zeus can give you what you want, and so you must offer up a sacrifice to him. They believed that one god had the power to give safe returns from journeys, another, recovery from illness, another, victory over enemies, and therefore they prayed to the one whom they thought most likely to grant the special favor that they wished. How to please the gods and so get what they wanted was an important matter. The Greeks, who lived at the time when Homer is thought to have sung, used to talk together of the golden days when the gods walked about among men. Doing them harm sometimes, to be sure, but often helping and advising them. 
they no longer expected to meet gods and goddesses when they were walking about in the forests, and to learn their commands and feelings, they watched for signs and tokens. If a sacrifice was offered to Zeus, the falling of a thunderbolt meant that he was pleased, and would grant the prayer. A sudden tempest showed that he was angry. Birds that flew far up in the air were supposed to have learned the secrets of the gods, and therefore their movements were closely watched. There was a surer way, however, of learning the will of the gods, and that was by going to an oracle, or place chosen by them to make their will known. There were many oracles in Greece, usually situated in wild gloomy spots, in the depths of a forest, or among the most jagged rocks and precipices. The oldest oracle was that of Zeus in the narrow valley of Dodona in Epirus. Whoever wished to consult it first made gifts to the priests. They offered up sacrifices, and then listened to hear what answer would come. The only sounds heard were the cooing of doves, the rustling of the breeze among the leaves of the sacred oaks, and the murmuring of the spring at their foot. But the priests claimed that they could understand these sounds and interpret them. No question was too important to be carried to Dodona, and none was too trivial. Heracles himself was said to have gone to ask when his labors would be at an end, and one troubled householder went to inquire whether his vanished coverlets and pillows were lost or had been stolen. The most famous oracle was that of Apollo at Delphi in Phocis. Here was a deep cleft in the rocks of Mount Parnassus, and from a fissure rose a stupefying vapor. The priestess was placed on a tripod over this fissure, and soon the gas made her half unconscious. Then the priests noted all her mutterings, and interpreted them for the one who had come to consult the oracle. These priests must have contrived to know a good deal about what was going on in the world, for their replies were exceedingly keen and shrewd. They were especially skillful in so framing the oracle answers that they could be read with opposite meanings. And if the event did not result as the questioner expected, they could say that it was his own fault for not reading the answer aright. For instance, King Croesus of Lydia asked, If I invade Persia, shall I succeed? The answer was, If you invade Persia, you will overthrow a mighty empire. And so he did. But it was his own, and not the Persian, as he had expected. The question was once asked, is there any man who is wiser than Socrates? And the answer was no. When the philosopher heard of this, he said, The oracle is right. None of us know what is truly good and honorable, but I see my ignorance, while they do not see theirs. Therefore, I am wiser than they.